0: So, my dad was a car collector, trader, dealer. So, he, he, in his younger years, he worked for car dealerships, and then he became a firefighter later on, but that never left. It's like, once a car salesman, always a car salesman. And so, he traded cars like baseball cards. Now, I, I said this, I told Annette, this is where I got this thing, I do this with guitars, where I'm like, I'm trading, I'm trading one this afternoon, I just like, this is like baseball cards, it's fun. I get bored with one, so I trade it and get in a different one. And so we do, it's in my blood because my dad was that way. So there was, at any given time in my life, there were two or three or four cars in the driveway or in the backyard, because we had this open backyard. And it could be, you know, a 68 Stingray, it could be a 74 Corvette. He loved Corvettes. And so you have to understand, as a young person, I kept thinking to myself, I cannot wait to get my license to drive because I'm going to be driving the coolest car in West Texas. I'm going to end up with a Corvette, a Stingray, or something. And my dad also had a pickup. So he had them all the time, people in and out. And so dad finally gets to to say to me, all right, I'm going to take you driving. It's time for you to learn how to drive. You can imagine how excited I was. So we go out, and I'm, I'm thinking dad's going to pitch me the keys to a 68. And what he pitches me the keys to is my mom's 1975 Dodge Maxi van. <laughs> do you remember those? Some of you are like, no. But some of us do. It was the size of a small city on wheels. It was like a mobile home with wheels. I mean, it was truly a mobile home. It was huge. And it was my mom's pride and joy because she ran us boys around. We all played sports, and we were all over the place. So it was, it was, you know, it was before Suburbans. Let's put it that way. But it was massive. It carried everything. And so we get in the maxi van, and it's huge, and it's awkward, and, and it's blue and white. I mean, I felt like, really? Dad, come on. So he takes me out driving. We go out in the country, and we're driving around. And I have the attention span of a gnat. Can anybody else relate to me at all? Squirrel, come on, right? Squirrel, I mean, come on, we're just like all over the place. So guess what happens when I'm driving? I'm looking at, there's cows over here, there's buildings over here, there's a bird that just flew by over here. And an interesting phenomenon happened that as I drove, and every time I would be looking at something, I'd start to drive that way. Have you ever noticed that? Some of you parents right now are totally relating. Some of you husbands and wives are going, you know, to this day, Annette's constantly going, I'll go, oh, look at the sunrise, or look at the sunset, Annette. Isn't that incredible? Look at those clouds. And she's like, please, just keep your eyes on the road. So my dad he, My dad picked up very quickly on the pattern, and he said, he said, have you noticed, son, that everywhere you look, that's where we end up going? And he said, Let this be a lesson to you. Now, what I didn't realize is it really was a life lesson. At the moment, I thought it was a driving lesson. But I came to realize in later years that truly what our gaze is upon is what we gravitate toward. And later, I just reformed those words into a principle that we become what we behold, what we are constantly looking at, what the one thing is in our life. That is what we will gravitate toward, and that is what we will ultimately become. And as we continue our series called Hallelujah Anyway, the ability or the art, really, it's, it's basically the art of rejoicing your way through the storms of life. Because here's the bottom line. It's not an if a storm will come in your life. It is when a storm And listen, I'm the most positive person in the room. I guarantee it. Renee Pennington runs a close second. But I'm telling you, we're both positive people. We see the glass always half full. However, there is a reality to life. Things happen. You've heard me say it before. Wheels fall off. Things break. People leave. People pass. Things happen. Life happens. But learning how to shout in the middle of your mess or as we started this whole series off in the middle of a bar ditch, how to shout hallelujah anyway, hallelujah in spite of your circumstances. That is not only what builds your own faith from the inside out and enlarges you to where you're bigger on the inside than you're on the outside, but it also is a testimony to a watching world who says, how are they going to handle this stress? How are they going to handle this pain? How are they going to handle this disappointment? How are they going to handle this betrayal, this loss? And how we handle, how we respond, not react, but how we respond to life events really is the tell, the teller of our faith. It's what reveals what's on the inside because we truly leak out what we're full of. Amen. So thank you for joining us today. We are in week number seven, and the passage today that we're going to talk about is... Did I say last week was my favorite passage? This is my favorite passage too, so that's pretty much every week. Context is king, so I want to bring you up to speed. You go to Philippians chapter 3 if you have your Bible. We'll pick up in verse 12, but I just even want to define the word hallelujah. is very simple. It's a Hebrew word, and it literally means praise God. It is a shout. It's a proclamation, It's a shout of joy, of release. That no matter what's going on, it's a hallelujah moment. And you're saying, praise God, bless God, thank God, praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. Now listen to this. The church at Philippi was a really interesting thing because it is one of the churches, it was the first church ever established in Europe. And it came on the heels of the Macedonian call. You may have heard of that before. Paul was on his third missionary journey He thinks he's going north, his gaze is north, he's going to go, and the Lord says, no, I have another assignment for you. The Lord redirects Paul to go across a body of water, a bay, over to the other side to Macedonia, which is Europe, in our time. And so the first church in Europe was established, and it's called Philippi. So it was a little outpost here on the coast of this bay, of this inlet, and it gets established, and it's an amazing, interesting place because actually Philippi was a retirement communion community. Can we relate? It was a retirement community, but most of the retirees were former Roman Legion soldiers. And so you can imagine the atmosphere of that place. But it was in that atmosphere and in that place that this little church began to grow up, the church at Philippi. And it was a church that Paul had high affection for And I can kind of relate to that because when I look out and see you on any given Sunday or Wednesday or I see you in aisle five at HEB, hi, everybody. Whenever I see you, I feel that same affection. I feel that same love. I get it. So from a Roman prison cell, not knowing if it would be his last day on this planet, Paul penned several prison epistles, letters, and one of them was what we're reading here today. It's the letter to the church at Philippi. The words rejoice or joy are mentioned 16 times in this four short chapters letter. It's all about rejoicing, all about celebrating, all about living life in the moment and being grateful. So it's on that, in that context that Paul writes. Now, we're going to pick up the passage here. And it's going to be, we're going to call this looking forward. It's in, we're going to start in, uh, actually, it's Philippians 3.12, not 1. 3.12. And listen to this, what we're going to do. As we go here, you're going to see something unfold. And it is Paul on the very heels of reading his resume. He just gave his resume. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was at the top of my game as a religious leader Not only in in Jerusalem, but in all of Israel. He was an MVP, the most valuable player. Rookie of the year. He was the up-and-coming guy. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. Knocks him off of his high horse, so to speak. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you chasing me? Talking about what Paul was doing to the believers and the followers of Jesus. And we're going to see how this all messaged together. So read with me here as we start Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Verse 12 says this. And this is Paul. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Now, Paul had just said this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even in death, so that I may be conformed to him in his resurrection. So Paul's saying, this is what I want, to truly, authentically, deeply, intimately know Jesus. And on the heels of that, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Now, that's different than perfectionism. The Bible word for perfection is the word that means wholeness. It means completion. It means finishing something that's been started. In other words, it has wholeness and integrity. So he's talking about that, not about perfectionism. So he says this, that I've already reached it, but I press on to possess that wholeness, that completion, for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, that word press, very important word. It literally means this. It means to persecute. That sounds kind of weird. What do you mean I press on, I persecute on? Well, listen to what it means. It literally means to chase down or chase after as to apprehend. So when I played football, I was a wingback on offense. I was a cornerback on defense. And as a wingback, I would catch passes out in the flat. And then I would just head upfield as fast as I could. Every once in a while, because I was not the fastest guy on the team, look at these legs, really? They were They were long then and skinny then, and so I wasn 't the speed guide. I had good hands and I was smart, but i 'm telling you, some guy who ran a four could run me down from behind, and like a gazelle, I was going as hard as I could. But I remember hearing the snorting, snotting, and talking bad about my mama behind my back as they come up on me, telling me what they're about to do. About to crush me. So that is persecute. That means to chase as to apprehend. It'd be like you running down a sidewalk and somebody chasing you and they just bear tackle you from behind and bury you into the pavement. That's persecution. So Paul says this. He says, but I persecute on, I chase on, I drive on, I as to apprehend. In other words, I'm not stopping until I apprehend. And look what he says. To possess that wholeness, that completion, that finality of what Christ is doing in me. He's like, in other words, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. It reminds me of Jacob at the river Jabbok when he had a wrestling match with what the Bible calls the man, capital M. And I don't know if you remember that story in the Old Testament, but down at that river, the man showed up, and Jacob grabbed hold of that individual, that messenger. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was seeking the blessing, not not money and stuff. The blessing, the conferred blessing of the presence of God. And he wrestled with the man all night. And the Bible says that when the, day, when the day broke, Jacob received the blessing and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. Do we have anybody walking with a limp around here? I've got two of them. <laughs> I feel like he's touched both of my hips. But in the midst of that context... He's saying, I am grabbing hold and I'm not letting go. Because I know, I know there's more for me. Now look what he says in the next verse. Verse 13. He says this, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Before we go any further, listen to Paul's transparency. He's saying, I haven't figured this all out. I haven't completed. I've not finished the right. There's still more to go. There's still more to do. He says, I'm not done yet. And you know what? It's easy to think in terms of biblical people that they were not transparent, that they're up on a flannel graph on a board somewhere in Sunday school back in the corner, and we're doing these little stories when, in fact, these were real people with real emotions going through the very same things we go through dynamically, emotionally, And in that context, he says, look, I have not arrived yet. Has that been your image of Paul as you read the Bible? Because we do tend to lift them out of the context of the scriptures and out of the context of the storyline and put them on a pedestal. Paul is just saying, look, this is real. I have not quite made it yet. I'm not there. He says, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. I'm not there. Paul understood there was work to be done. And you know what I love about Paul? He put it in a letter that has been preserved for us for eternity. What is that message saying to you and I about transparency, openness, and saying, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. You know what? I'm not there yet. But here, I want you to notice something. We'll we'll, we'll look at this in a second. He says this, but... I focus on this one thing. Now, if the great apostle, the great missionary is saying there's one thing, he's got a Barney Fife moment going here, I got one bullet for my gun and this is it, I want to know what that one bullet is. Don't you? So look what he says. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. There's some of you in here today and you're still struggling. In fact, I had people come up to me after the first service and say, nailed it on that. I do still struggle. Things visit me from the past. Voices, memories, echoes from the past, tapes run that remind me of what I did. Here's the thing. He says, this one thing I'm focusing on, forgetting the past. Some of you, are still allowing your present to be defined by your past. And you know what? This would be a great day to lean into what Paul says. First of all, how did he do it? He was transparent. He was honest about it. Listen, I haven't made it yet. I'm not quite there. But here's what I'm doing. I'm not going back. Some of you today need to make a quality decision by the grace of God that in Christ you are not who you used to be. And that you are not defined by your worst day. You're not defined by your worst moment. You know, we had a terrible accident happen here in town this weekend. And some of you know about this. And there's an older gentleman downtown. And he accidentally pushed the gas, thinking he was pushing the brake. And he drove up over the curb, took out four pillars of one of our downtown businesses, and literally struck two people, putting one in the hospital fairly seriously. And my first thought went to that man, not just the people. Of course, it's horrible, and the store owners, and, and it's a terrible thing, terrible accident. But my heart went out to him to think, oh, my Lord, this is an older man that could very well define his entire life by one moment, by one accident, by one misfire. And my prayer for him has been, Lord, don't let this define him. Don't let this be the thing he lives with the rest of his life. That he, he hurt people accidentally. And just as I would pray for that man, I pray for you. That you would not let or not allow past mistakes to define your present or your future. You Why not break the chain today? Why not stop the cycle here? Why not say enough is enough? Yeah. And you know what? It's a choice. The greatest gift God gives us is the ability to choose. It's called the free will of man. We, with our free will, can step into a place and say, I refuse to be defined by that, even though it still impacts me. I still have emotions there. I still feel the ramifications and the ripple effect of that, almost like the concussion of an explosion. I still, but it's not who I am. It's something that happened. It's what happened. Or in terms of I was victimized or traumatized. That doesn't define me. Did it impact me and affect me? Absolutely. Does it have to to define my life? Absolutely not. Why? This is where we lean into our identity in Jesus Christ. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. Here's what He says about you. (laughs) as opposed to what your decisions, what your past, or what your trauma says to you. He says you're a son, you're a daughter. He says, according to even the Old Testament, this isn't just New Covenant. Even in the Old Testament, it says you're the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. You are blessed coming in and blessed going out. The Bible also says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Did you know that? You know what he says in the New Covenant, in the New Testament? He says, You've been raised up together, seated in Christ, in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. That's you. You are not under your circumstances, you are over them. That's who you are in Christ. Can you imagine if we defined ourselves by what God says about us every day of our lives? As opposed to what our past says about us. Amen? Paul said, I refuse to look back because what he did is he persecuted the church. People died at his feet and at his hands. And he says, I refuse. He says, forgetting the past and looking forward. He set his gaze forward. You become what you behold. And Paul set his gaze forward, not backwards. You ever tried driving your car by looking at the rearview mirror? Don't try this at home. It's bad. It will end badly for you. Because you can't. But how many of us try to drive our lives by looking in the rearview mirror? Constantly looking. Constantly worried. Constantly wondering. And it doesn't help that there's a very real enemy that the Bible calls the accuser of the brother. Constantly telling you how bad you are. How bad you blew it. The mistakes you've made. Oh, the hurt you've caused. Oh, this has defined you. This is who you are. That's the voice of the enemy. The Bible calls the accuser of the brethren. But here's the beauty of it. But God. But God. Amen? He says this. I'm forgetting the past. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. Listen to this. Jesus. This is just a subtitle. I put this up here. Jesus invites us to join him in his work. We must choose to respond To his invitation. Jesus is inviting us in. Wherever there's an invitation, there must be a response. This is an RSVP moment for you. Listen to this, verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race. The goal, in some translations. I'm pressing on. There's that word persecute again. I'm chasing down as to apprehend. In other words, I'm not giving up. I'm looking forward, I'm moving forward, not looking back, not defined by my past. I'm defined by who God says I am, and he says I'm his chosen son or chosen daughter. And he says he has a destination for me, a destiny. So he's moving forward in this. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Whoa, wait a minute. Does that mean he's just trying to make it to the end of his life? No, his focus isn't the end of life, it's the beginning of eternity. It's looking forward to say, I'm going to apprehend him and see him face to face. Paul's view of heaven was a place of celebration and a place of reward, of moving into a new whole dimension of life. He says this, the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. There's the invitation, you're being called did you know that family you're called and the call goes out in isaiah oh isaiah chapter 6 who will go for us whom shall we send isaiah answered back do you remember this here am i send me lord So, I'm going to invite you to do something. Let's land the plane with this. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Can we just say amen? Everybody who's spiritually mature right now, just say amen. Amen. Woo, you're a much better. First, we must have a very immature first service because we had like (laughs) two people spoke up and we all kind of went, ooh, okay. Let's try that again. Of course, they had lost an hour of sleep. They had not quite as awake as you are. Listen to this. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Notice this. Paul trusted Jesus and other people. This is so critical. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Paul trusted people to the point that he refused to control or manipulate them. He trusted the fact that God could speak to them and bring them into unity, bring them into oneness and agreement. He says this, if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. So my question for you is, ah, this is so freeing. Do you trust Jesus and those that are in your relational orbit? Do you trust that Jesus is at work in them as you suppose he is in you? You know what this does? It causes us to let go and begin to hold people, stuff, life with an open hand. Just say, Jesus, I so trust you. I so trust that you're working in them. That you have a destiny and a plan for them. A future and a hope for them. You've ordered their steps and you're delighting in the details of their lives. And just because we're in disagreement right now, that isn't how it's going to end because I trust you in them and I trust you in me. Can you imagine living life with that kind of openness? You know what that evokes in me? Just joy. Just joy. Celebration, life, gratitude. To be able to go, God's got this. But even more, he's got you. Isn't that better? This is what he says. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. He's like, give no quarter to the enemy. There you go. No going back. No looking back. Stop revisiting the past. You're not a victim. Don't be a volunteer. You're a victor in Christ. Amen. You're an overcomer in Jesus. Amen? I'm going to have our worship team come up. As we land the plane on this, I want to show you. These are our little practices that we've been doing. These are just things that have been, we've been working on. Here it is, the one-minute pause. As they're coming up, remember what the one-minute pause is? It's simple. I give everything. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. The one-minute pause. A reset during the day. Do it over and over. Play worship music in your home, car, workspace. For me... When I'm in the shower, there's music blaring all the time. Why? Because I like to fill the room with His praise and His presence. Declare hallelujah anyway in any and every situation. Let's just practice that one time on the count of three. One, two, three. Hallelujah anyway. So you need to be yelling that from your cubicle in the office and just see what happens. Just give it a shot. Freak everybody out. Now we say leak out, don't freak out, right? Immerse yourself in God's Word. Get God's Word in you. You have to get into God's Word, but get His Word in you. The Word works, but you have to what? Work the Word. Amen? Choose restoration over relief. I'm going to keep moving because I could land on that for a while. Receive this, an attitude adjustment regarding your authority in Christ. Your sons, your daughters, you've received, conferred, what the Bible calls exousia. That's that's authority. It's yours in Christ. Let your light shine, dispelling darkness where you live, work, and play. Darkness and light can't occupy the same space. It's impossible. It's physically impossible. Celebrate your union with Christ. We do that through communion, but every day, your fellowship with Him. Enjoy your fellowship. And then we, we've been adding these on each week. Here's, here's today. Put one foot in front of the other. Celebrate every Step you take one last encouragement when you woke up this morning you hit the lottery check your pulse are you here? if you're not please raise your hand we have several medical professionals in the building right now when you woke up it was a gift and you have today none of us are guaranteed tomorrow but we have this moment here right now And let God define you by his definition of who you are, not your past. And like Paul, it's quit looking back. Quit going back. Listen, sir, I mean this in the nicest way. If you still have your letter jacket in your closet, give it up. Don't go back. You can't. Ma'am, if you still have your band uniform or your cheerleader outfit, please let it go in the next garage sale. Don't go back. We're moving forward. Amen. One foot in front of the other. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you and we love you. We're so grateful for life. We get to live a celebration of life and shout hallelujah in the darkest times in our culture. We still are of those who say hallelujah anyway. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anyway. So thank you for Paul's encouragement. And we do, we press on, we persecute forward. We chase as to apprehend. Father, thank you for the clarity that we are defined by who you say we are, not by what the mirror says, what the world says, what our past says. We are defined by who you say we are. And we rest in that. And Jesus, give us the grace to trust you in the lives of those that you've brought into our life, into our orbit, into our sphere of influence. May we have grace to trust you, Jesus, in them. We honor you in Christ's name. Our, our prayer team, prayer partners, we got more coming. Get our prayer team up here. We're here for you. Any prayer needs that you may have, we're here for you. You may just need to come up and say, you know what? I need to grab hold of that word. I need to get a hold of that. Help me do that. We'll pray with you. We'll stand with you. That's what we're here to do. Let's worship together.